Just to take a seat in the presence of the Lord. Good Friday is not a normal service for us. It's not business as usual. We don't sing the same kind of songs. It's not a time of jubilation. It's not a time of worship, or it's not a time of rejoicing. But it's also not a time of sorrow. It's not a time of shame. It's also not a time when we come together to feel sorry for Jesus. When Jesus was on the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, the way of the cross, there was a woman that fell down before him and said, we weep for you. And he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourself. See, Jesus, yes, he experienced agony and pain. But he experienced it on our behalf, not on his own behalf. And tonight, as we reflect upon the cross, I want for a moment to take us to the Garden of Gethsemane. We see this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 46. And I'm going to read this passage of scripture as we stop to reflect upon the meaning of this event. The scripture says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The title of my message tonight is Watch and Pray. Watch and Pray. You know, everybody suffers. Every human being suffers. But when you suffer, how do you suffer? Do you like to suffer corporately? Or do you like to suffer by yourself? When you're going through something deep, do you like to call all of your friends and say, come over to my house and watch me suffer for a little while? Do you have people, you say, I need 12 people to come to my house and watch me go through this? You know what tends to happen is that leaders stand in front of people, talk to people, instruct people, 
encourage people. But the one thing that leaders don't like doing in front of people is struggling. I mean, if I'm going through a struggle, if, if, if some tribulation or trial hits my family, I'm going to tell all of y'all to leave me alone. Don't talk to me. You know, when we see high-level leaders going through something, some terrible tragedy, they lose a loved one, the first thing they do is they make a statement to the press and say, the family asks that you would respect their privacy. Please give them some space so they can handle this trial, so that they can grieve. Just leave them alone for a while. And when a leader goes through a struggle like that, they, they put on a happy face for the press conference, and then they go home and they weep together with just their closest family members, maybe a few of their friends. But the bulk of the suffering of a leader is done alone. Now imagine being Jesus on the night that you know you're about to be betrayed. He knows that within hours, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be convicted. He's going to be beaten all night long. A crown of thorns is going to be pressed upon his head. A robe is going to be put on his shoulders. And by the morning, the cross is going to be laid upon his back. And he's going to be led up the road and nailed to a cross. He knows that he's got just a few hours left. What would you do with that few hours? Wouldn't you want to be alone? I I don't know about you, but I would want to be alone. Just leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. i got to go through this, so just give me some space to get my composure and to get myself together. But Jesus demonstrates the immensity of his love by sharing these moments, the moments that led to his deepest suffering with his disciples. First, he takes the time to explain to them the meaning, even though they did not understand at the moment, but he takes the time to explain to them the meaning of what he's about to go to. He takes them into an upper room, and he celebrates the Passover with them. The disciples, imagine, they're laughing and talking, and and yes, they're going through the Seder meal. One of them begins to sing the Seder song, Manishtana, Manishtana halayla hazeh, mikol halelot, He's asking the question, why why is this night different from other nights? And then the older ones will respond and tell him the story of the Passover in Egypt, how the blood of the spotless lamb was put on the doorpost of the people of Israel and the angel of death passed by. This is how they took this truth of what God did and began to pass it down from generation to generation as they celebrated the Passover feast. It was a wonderful time for the disciples, a joyful time. Every year they looked forward to celebrating the Passover feast, to eating the unleavened bread and to partaking of the spotless lamb. And when the feast was over and the disciples thought they were all done, we can just relax the rest of the night. Jesus says, come back to the table. And they come back to the table. And he takes another piece of bread. He says, what are you you doing? The feast is over. He says, I've got something new. And he breaks the bread. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this, eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. Now imagine the disciples, what, what? What are you talking about? And they're eating the bread. They have no idea what he's talking about. But Jesus lovingly is taking the time to get later after it's all over. They're going to look back on that moment and realize what he was talking about. But Jesus in his love and grace 
is giving them the key to understanding what's about to happen to him. And when the Passover meal is finished, he sits them all in a line. He takes off his outer garment and wraps a towel around himself and begins to wash his disciples' feet. He said, what are you doing? Comes to Peter. Peter says, no, 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 you're not washing my feet. He said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And then he says this, you don't understand what I'm doing to you now. But later, you're going to understand it. And after washing their feet, he says, I, your master and Lord, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. You see what he's doing? He's giving them marching orders. He's giving them instructions. He's saying, I'm not, literally what he's saying is, I'm not going to be with you much longer. But after I go, i got to leave you an example so you know what to do when I'm not here. You're going to wash one another's feet. And you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And now they're thinking, you know, this is great. Wonderful evening. Jesus washed our feet. Good thing that's done. Let's go stand outside and sip a cappuccino or something. You know, I mean, what do you do at the end of a long night? It's been wonderful. You've hung out with friends and family. And Jesus says, come with me. And he takes them to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Comes to a certain place in the garden. And he says, sit here. He says to the eight of them, Peter, James, and John, come with me. But the rest of you, the other eight, minus Judas, he had already sent Judas off. He says, sit here while I go and pray. Sit here while I go and pray. Stay here, he says. He says, stay here and watch with me. He says to the others, stay here and watch while I go and pray. He says, Peter, James, and John, come with me. And he goes a little further, it says, just a little further, meaning not so far away that the other eight couldn't see him. Just a stone's throw, halfway maybe to the, through this sanctuary. He goes a little further, and then there with Peter, James, and John, the other eight are just kind of sitting there watching, going, what's going on? And with Peter, James, and John, the scripture says he fell on his face. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Imagine, he takes Peter, James, and John, they go about 10, 15 feet away, and then he falls on his face, and he begins weeping. He's deeply sorrowful and distressed. Not like a couple of tears. I mean, he is in deep sorrow and distress. And Peter, James, and John are standing there looking at him like, what in the world is going on? Have you ever, have you ever had someone that you looked up to fall apart in your presence? It's a scary experience, isn't it? I mean, imagine this. You're walking down the street in a real bad neighborhood, right? And you're scared to death, but you have one thing going for you. You got a guy who's six foot four, 240 pounds of solid muscle, right? He looks like he would kill anybody. So that's the one thing that gives you comfort. Nobody's going to mess with me while he's around, right? But then you look up at him and he's crying. And he's going, Mama! Mama! Baba, now you're really scared, right? I mean, now you're really freaked out because your security is gone. I mean, if your leader falls apart, it just feels like what in the world is happening? And so Jesus falls apart in front of his disciples. They had never seen him shed a tear before, except at the tomb of Lazarus, right before he raised him from the dead. But other than that, I mean, the man, the man was a, a wall of bronze, 
He was unmovable. He was was unshakable. the, The disciples were often scared. Jesus wasn't. Even when the storm hit the sea and he's asleep under the cushion, now all of a sudden he falls apart in front of them. And they're going, what in the world is going on? And then he gets up. Now watch this. First he says to Peter, James, and John, stay here and watch with me. And then he goes a little further by himself. It says a little further. Meaning he probably goes another 10 feet. So now the disciples, the eight are here. And 10 feet ahead, about halfway through the sanctuary maybe, the three. And then 10 feet further, Jesus is over there and he's falling apart. Deeply sorrowful. And he says, watch with me. So he puts some distance, all 11 of them can see him, but he puts some distance between them because he has to go through this alone. There's some stuff that, don't, that you have to go through alone. I mean, so folks, and this is the thing that we, the, one of the marks of maturity is understand. See, when you're immature, you go through something and then you say, nobody was there for me. Right. But when you're mature, you realize that there's some stuff nobody can be there for you. Right. I mean, there's some times when you go through stuff, nobody can be there for you. I remember, you know, I, you, know I, you, you get married and you think you're a man. And then you start growing up and becoming a man and you look back and you go, man, I wasn't a man. I thought I was a man. I didn't know the first thing about being a man. I remember Sonny and I had been married just for a couple of years and we, we were on the road head to, halfway down the Highway 5 and we blew out a tire. There was this big sharp metal object on the road and I ran right over it on the 5 at full speed, blew out a tire. We pulled over to the side of the road. The first thing I said was, I got to call my dad. And she said, Why? What's he going to do? I was like, I just got to call my dad. <laughs> Why you got to call your dad? I said, I just got to call my pops. And I picked up my phone. I'm like, hey, dad, I got a flat tire. <laughs> right? He's like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm cool. He goes, okay, why are you talking to me? Change the tire. <laughs> right? Oh, got to go. And I changed. But the first thing I thought of was, I need a parent on the phone that I could talk to. And my wife is thinking, you're supposed to be my covering. <laughs> you know? No, <laughs> you That's not what I want to hear right now. I don't want to hear you need daddy. I want to hear, let me get the tire iron out and change this tire. See, when you go, and the older you get, the more mature you get, the more you realize that when you go through stuff and nobody's there for you, that's part of maturity. Jesus knew that he had to go through this. See, we, we can misunderstand this. When he says, watch with me, He's not saying, I'm so scared to go through this by myself. I need you guys with me to support me. That's not what he's saying. He puts distance between them to demonstrate. You can't go through this with me. But he allows them to be close enough to him to say, even though you can't go through it with me, you can watch me. And it's important that I don't go through this in isolation. It's important that I don't go through this suffering in private. It's important that I don't go into an upper room by myself. See, I would have reserved that upper room for myself. And told those disciples, I don't want to, you know, talk to me in three days after the resurrection. But for the next three days, y'all got to leave me alone. And I would have been in the upper room crying by myself. But Jesus says, no, I need you to watch me go through this suffering. You can't go through it with me, 
but you can watch me. Now watch this. So yes, there is a degree to which Jesus wanted his companions near him at the moment of his greatest tribulation, but not simply to comfort him. Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for their great moments of tribulation. Look at verse 41. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. He's not saying, pray for me, guys. I'm struggling here. I need y'all to pray for me. He doesn't say, pray for me. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Literally, what he's saying to them is, if you don't start praying right now, you're going to enter into temptation. See, Jesus was not just asking for their support He was training them and discipling them to the very end. What he was saying is, this is the last few moments that I have with you before going to the cross. And by God, I'm going to use those moments to teach you something that's going to strengthen you when you go through your moment of tribulation. He says, watch as I watch. Pray As I pray, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'll teach you how to endure your trials and your tribulations. Watch me, watch me and watch with me. Watch. See, watching and praying was a lifestyle for Jesus. And so he knew that he would be prepared for his hour of tribulation. But he knew that watching and praying had not yet become a lifestyle for his disciples. And so this was the last thing he had to impart to them before going away. You've got to learn how to watch and pray. See, Jesus had been watching and praying throughout his entire life on earth. He would disappear and go up on the mountain. What was he doing all night long? Watching and praying. He would teach the multitudes all day and then watch and pray all night and then come walking on the water to his disciples. They saw him watching. They saw him praying. It was his lifestyle. And so he knew that he would be able to stand in his moment of tribulation. But he knew they weren't ready yet because they had not yet learned how to watch and pray. Notice he didn't say press and pray. He didn't say, come on, guys, we need a breakthrough in the spirit. The devil's coming against me and we need a breakthrough. So I need you to stand on the promises tonight. I need you to war tonight against the devil. We're going to come against this and we're going to break it. He didn't tell us this. He wasn't in the garden going, in the name of me, in the name of me. (laughs) You know, I rebuke this power of the devil. He wasn't rebuking. He didn't say press. And he didn't say soak either. He didn't say, come on, soak with me. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the glory. Oh, oh. He didn't say press. He didn't say soak. He said, watch. Watch. You see, to watch means to remain alert, sober, ready. It is to give strict attention to something, to be roused from sleep, to be awake. To watch is to wait, but it's not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting. You know the difference between passive waiting and active waiting, right? You know, I mean, if you're not married and you've been waiting to get married for a long time, there's passive waiting and then there's active waiting. 
Passive waiting just says, oh, well, if he comes, he comes. Active waiting says, I'm going to get myself ready. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get my hair did. Hello. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get my house in order. I'm ready. When he comes, I'm going to be ready, boy. Hmm? Come on, somebody. Some of y'all have been passively waiting for him to just fall out of the sky. You need to start actively waiting. Hello? Watching is not a passive form of waiting. It is an active form of waiting. And there's a lot of believers that are passively waiting. Well, when the Lord comes, he'll come. Well, I guess when God wants to bless me, he'll bless me. Well, I guess when it's my time, it's my time. Well, I guess if the Lord wants to use me, he'll use me. Well, if God wants me to do it, he'll tell me. But he hasn't told me yet, so I guess he doesn't want me to. That's passive waiting. That's not what Jesus told his disciples to do. He didn't say, just kind of chill here. And whatever happens, you know, just go with it. It's the Lord's will. No, he said watch, which means to be actively, soberly, alert, consciously awake and prepared, poised for whatever comes. Watching is kind of like when, when, uh, when you know that there's only one exit, you know, and you know that that exit's going to come quick. And you're driving full speed down the highway and you're watching for that exit, boy. You're watching, especially if you've been on a long drive and you, you know, that exit, you can pass right. You ever pass by your exit because you weren't watching close enough and went miles past your exit? You know, you can find, you can miss it. When Jesus says watch, he means if you're not alert, you're going to miss it. He means something's getting ready to happen that you are not ready for. So look alive. Be alert. Wake up. Be sober. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And when he says that, he means something's getting ready to go down that you don't understand. And if you're not watching, your moment of tribulation is going to become your moment of temptation. Now i got to stop there for a moment because most believers believe... That temptation is the natural result of tribulation. I was tempted because I was tried. I went through a trial and because of that I experienced temptation. Let me tell you something. Tribulation and temptation are not necessarily consecutive phenomena. You don't necessarily have to go through temptation because you've gone through tribulation. Jesus says if you're watching and praying, you'll go through the tribulation without experiencing the temptation. You won't be tempted to give up. You won't be tempted to quit. You won't be tempted to sin against God. You won't be tempted to walk away. You won't be tempted to cuss somebody out. You won't be tempted to slap somebody in the face. You won't be tempted to stop tithing. Hello? You won't be... Oh, come on somebody. Why? Because you know that your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you've made a decision. He ain't devouring me. That devil's not going to catch me slipping because I am going to watch and pray. Amen. My preaching is better than your amen. You need to wake up. <laughs> See, watching begins with the decision to remain in God's presence, even at times that we don't understand. Watching is the decision to remain in God's presence through the midst of misunderstanding. This is watching. God, I don't understand, but I'm here. 
I don't understand, but I'm here. It was the prophet Habakkuk that said, I will stand at my watch and see what the Lord my God will say to me. Notice the word hadn't come yet. The understanding hadn't come yet. The revelation hadn't come yet. The explanation hadn't come yet. And what do you do when you're waiting for the answer to come? You watch. Habakkuk said, I'm going to stand at my watch, meaning I'm going to be alert. When he said, stand at my watch, he's talking about the way a guard stands on the wall of a city for his watch. Some, if you're a guard, maybe you got the first watch of the night, which is from about 9 p.m. to midnight. Maybe you got the second watch of the night, which is about midnight to 3 a.m. Or maybe you got the third watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Or the fourth watch of the night, which is between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. But when it's your watch, you better stand at your watch and be awake. Because God forbid somebody overtake the city and you're sleeping and you're supposed to be watching. If it's your watch, you're scanning the horizon from the top of that wall every single second of that three hours. And if the temptation to sleep comes, you shake it off and say, no, I'm standing at my watch because I've got to guard this city. The prophet Habakkuk said, the people who watch a city have a watch, I've got a watch too. And my watch is that time that I have set aside every single day to see the face of God to incline my ear to his voice and to hear what he would say to me. And so Habakkuk said, I will stand at my watch and see what the Lord my God will say to me. Do you have a watch? Are you standing at your watch? Do you have a place every day where you stand and say, God, I'm ready. I'm standing at my watch. I'm ready. And the thing is, see, when you're a watchman and you're watching over a city, You don't get discouraged because nobody invades the first night. You know? You don't go, man, this is useless. What am I doing standing up? I stood up there for three hours and nobody invaded the city. I could have been sleeping. Because you know that all it takes is a moment. Six months into your tenure as a watchman. One moment of sleep and somebody could come and overtake your city. What are you going to say? Oops. They just tore down your walls and killed everybody in your city because you decided to take a moment of sleep. Listen, when you're a watchman, you know that standing at your watch, every moment of your watch is important. And especially if nobody comes, that's all the better. It means that you did your job. Hello? I don't care if it's six years or 60 years later, I'm going to stand at my watch and watch over my city. Nobody is going to overtake this city on my watch. Hello? The prophet Habakkuk is thinking the same way about the coming of the word of the Lord. Just because God's word didn't come to me tonight doesn't mean that I'm going to get discouraged and say, I'm not praying tomorrow. I could have been sleeping. What was I doing standing up there saying, Lord, speak to me for three hours and nobody, nothing happened. But most believers, not three hours, like 20 minutes. No, no, 10 minutes. I prayed for a whole three minutes and God didn't say anything to me. This prayer stuff is useless. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Jesus says, watch and pray. And what are the disciples doing? Jesus says, watch and pray. And they go, okay, all right. (sighs) It says their eyes were heavy with sleep. And three times he came and woke them up. Watch and pray. Now watch this. The first time he comes and he sees Peter and he goes, what? Look at this. Where is this? Yeah, verse 40. Jesus comes and finds him sleeping. He goes, what? 
I mean, look at that word there in your Bible. What? What? Like, are you serious? You're kidding me, right? You're joking. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Not even one hour? Could you not watch with me for one hour? I looked at, the, I looked at that, that, that verse in the Greek and it said, do you not have the power to watch with me for one hour? Don't you even have the strength just to keep your eyes awake just for one hour? Yes. Can't you, what? Like Jesus is shocked. Yes. Are you kidding me? If, if Jesus were to look at your prayer, your prayer life, what would he say? How many of us in this room would Jesus walk in and look at, and look at your prayer life just in one given day? Would he go, what? <laughs> what? Let's sit down and take an inventory of how many hours you spend on Netflix. And then over here on the pie graph, how many hours you spend a day on Facebook? And over here on the pie graph, how many hours you spend at Starbucks? How much time you spend eating? Is there any pie left for prayer? Yeah, tweet that. <laughs> Is there any room left in your pie? See, prayer doesn't give very much pie. For the average believer, prayer doesn't even get a piece of the pie. It doesn't even get a sliver of the pie. What? What? The incredul- incredulity. Is that a word? Yeah, yeah, it is. Incredulity. He was incredulous. Jesus couldn't believe his eyes. Y'all can't be sleeping. That can't be real. Don't you know? He says, wake up. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you're dependent. See, by going to sleep, you think everything's okay. You're dependent upon your spirit being willing. And you have no idea how weak your flesh is. No, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because my spirit, you know, I I I know the Lord. He's in my spirit. Yeah, but you have no idea how weak your flesh is. And when tribulation hits you, the willingness of your spirit is overtaken by the weakness of your flesh. And so prayer is the process by which the willingness of the Spirit is increased to the extent that no matter how weak the flesh becomes, it can never overtake the willingness of the Spirit. That's what prayer does for you. Prayer enhances the willingness of your spirit so that if your spirit is willing right now, you go spend some time in your prayer closet and you'll come out and your spirit is at another level of willingness before the Lord. God, before I spent that time in prayer, I was willing, but now, (laughs) woo, I'm ready. I'm willing and ready. See, you have no, see, we think prayer is all about petition. 
And we spend so much time talking about how to get your prayers answered. And we think that because we prayed and asked God for something and He didn't do it, prayer is useless. But prayer is far more about preparation than it is about petition. Because the activity of prayer is the process by which God strengthens your spirit against the day of tribulation. So Jesus says you've got to learn how to watch and pray. Tribulation is coming. And if you are not watching and praying, your moment of tribulation will become your moment of temptation. Now, watching does not mean focusing on the coming of suffering. When Jesus says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, he knows that their hour of tribulation is coming too. In other words, Jesus knows that this moment of tribulation is not just about him. It's about all the disciples. He knows that it's not just, I'm going to the cross, feel bad for me. He's thinking to himself, these guys are not yet prepared for what's about to happen. What's about to happen is going to rock their world. And he's trying to get them ready for this moment, this experience that's about to rock their world. However, he's not trying to get them to focus on the coming of suffering. Watching and praying does not mean standing before the Lord going, Lord, I know suffering's coming. God, I know it's coming. What's coming? Show me what it is. Help me understand what it comes. God, God, I don't want suffering to take me by surprise. Let me know when I'm about to suffer. You know, if that's not what it's about. Because, I, you know, I got to say this because I'm going to start getting revelations from some of y'all over the next few weeks about God showing you your legs are going to get cut off in an accident. You know, I mean, I'm serious. I get people telling me stuff like that. The Lord showed me I'm going to die in three years. No, no, no. You get rid of that foolishness. Lord, show me I'm going to get married, but then she's going to get hit by a car. You know, I mean, I get, I get all kind of foolishness. People blamed on Jesus. That's not what this is about. It's not about God wanting to give you a bunch of revelations of bad stuff that's coming to you. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the... Who for the... Who for the... The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He was not looking at suffering. He was looking at the joy on the other side of the suffering. He was not focused. He knew that his hour of great suffering was upon him, but he was not his whole. Can you imagine if Jesus spent three years going, oh, Lord, at the end of every day, he'd have a powerful service and then he'd go in his room, and start crying. And said, what are you crying about? In about three years, I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, and it's going to be horrible. Oh, do you, let me tell you what they're going to do to me. I mean, he knew it. But he didn't spend his time worrying about it. You know, see, I'm, a very, I'm an empathic person. You know, empathy is one of my strongest gifts. And what that means is if I see somebody suffer, I start suffering with them. I can't watch certain movies. Like Saving Private Ryan. Remember that movie, Saving Private Ryan? The real gory, you know, and it was so realistic. Man, by the end of that movie, I had gotten shot, stabbed in the heart, blown up with grenades. I had been killed so many times, and I kept reliving some of those scenes. 
in the night. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to have these moments where I would imagine my father's funeral. You know, I'd imagine my dad dying. And I would stand by his casket and weep and cry. And I would really cry. I mean, I'm laying in my bed weeping and crying. I said, what are you crying about? Nobody saw me, thank God. But if you would have saw me, you would have, you would have taken me to John George. You would have thought I was a nutcase. What are you doing crying at your dad's funeral? Your dad's in the other room. I'm 37 years old. My dad is alive and well. And I was, cry- I was weeping at his funeral when I was seven. 30 years been mourning my dad's death. <laughs> you know, I could have been. Right? I mean, the anticipation... We can, you can, listen, in your mind, you can waste time anticipating something bad. And that's not what God, that's not what Jesus means when he says, watch and pray. Stop wasting your time thinking about some possible negative that's not even a reality yet. Something terrible. You think that's how you prepare for it? That is not how you prepare for it. You prepare for it by focusing your attention on the joy that is set before you. That is, watching means to remain consciously aware of the good things God has done on your behalf and on the good things that God has prepared for you in your future. That's what it means to watch. It means to make a decision that I will not be separated from the goodness of God in the midst of any trial. No matter what trial comes, I will remain consciously connected to the goodness of God. That's what it means to watch. Not the anticipation of suffering. But the embrace of joy, to the extent that the expectation of joy drives you through suffering. In other words, you want a recipe for overcoming temptation? Watch and pray. When God sees us coming near a time of testing, he begins to call for us to watch and pray. Watch and pray. And pray. Now notice at the end of this, when Jesus finishes watching and praying, three times he comes to his disciples, the first time they're sleeping, he says, what? Wake up. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He goes off and prays again. He comes back, and they're sleeping again. And it says he doesn't even bother them the second time. He comes and sees them sleeping, shakes his head, and goes back to his place and, and continues his prayer. Then he comes back a third time and he wakes them. And look at what he says. When he comes back a third time, he says, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Do you hear the confidence in his voice? He said, I'm done crying. I'm done crying. Enough. I'm ready now. I've done my watching. I've done my praying. Now the moment has come. I'm not afraid. Let's go. It's time. It's time for what? I'm about to be betrayed and handed over to sinners. Let's go. And how does he face his suffering? Like a gangster. Stands in front of Pontius Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? They say that I am. Don't you know I have the power to take your life? No, you don't. You don't have any power over me unless, except that which is given you. Matter of fact, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This is the command I received from my father. Don't say you got power over me. You ain't got no power over me, Pana. Whew. 
Are you the son of God? It is as you say. And you will see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. Man! No more crying. No more wailing and weeping. Yes, feeling pain. Yes. He said, I got my crying done before the trial came. See, your problem is that you wait till the trial comes and then you start crying. You get hit with tribulation and all of a sudden you show up at the prayer meeting. (laughs) Haven't been in your prayer closet because everything's going well. But as soon as you get hit with a trial, oh Lord, then you start calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus said, you should have done that before the trial came. I don't waste time crying in the middle of a trial, Jesus says. I cried before the trial came and now I'm prepared for the trial. You see, when Jesus got up off his knees at the end of his prayer time, he was not resigned to his coming suffering. He resolved to go through his coming suffering. There's a difference between resignation and resolution. A lot of believers, they say, and especially when you hear believers say things like, well, this is just the cross I have to bear. That's resignation. Number one, that's ridiculousity. I coined that term. Because half the stuff you say is a cross you have to bear is, is just stuff that you created. <laughs> it's more like you dug the hole, now you have to lie in it. <laughs> That's not, but don't call it a cross because that sounds like something God put on you. God didn't put that on you. You put that foolishness on yourself. Don't call it a cross. But that's the voice of resignation. I guess this is just my thorn in the flesh. Next person says that to you, just slap them right across the face. (laughs) Smack them. And then repent later. God will forgive you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't slap them. Send them to me. I'll do it. (laughs) It's resignation. I guess I'm just going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. That's not godly. Even Je- That was not Jesus' attitude. He said, Father, if it's not possible for this cup to pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. Yes. He knew the cup would pass, but not till he drank it. See, it's a cross when it's a cup that I drink and then I'm done with it. Not when I'm just going to suffer here for the rest of my life. That is not the cross that you have to bear. That's not what it's about. Resignation is just throwing up your hands and saying, oh, well. (laughs) Resolution is standing with boldness and saying it's going to hurt, but we're going to go through this. It's going to be painful, but I've made my decision. We're walking through this and we're coming out on the other side of this. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. The cross is not set before you. The joy is set before you. The cross must be endured, but joy comes in the morning. How is he able to do that? I used to think to myself, what would I do if I lived during a time of persecution in a place of persecution? If they came in and they were cutting people's arms off, Renounce your faith in Jesus or we're going to cut off your arms. You know, they're doing that in certain parts of the world right now. Renounce your faith in Christ or we kill everybody in this household. They're doing that. Would I have the boldness to stand? 
You know what? I might have moments where I think I can. I think I can. Let me tell you something. In your own strength, you can't. And we don't pray like they pray because we don't think we have to suffer what they suffer. And our problem is we're so used to everything going well for us that the minute one little thing goes wrong for us, we start questioning God. I thought you loved me, God. Am I cursed? How come you don't hear me? And it's like God is saying, man, if you would have just watched and prayed, I could have got you ready for this. One of the worst things is when you're responsible for someone, but they don't let you prepare you. They don't let you prepare them for something. A teacher who has to give a test to students that he knows aren't prepared to take it. Man. If you were watching while I was teaching these algebra lessons, you'd be ready for this algebra test. But I couldn't get you to watch. You come to class every day, go say, ain't no test today. No need to watch. The Spirit of God is calling us to prayer. The Spirit of God is calling us to prayer. He is calling us to prayer. And he's not calling us to a to crisis prayer. There's a crisis, so let's pray. He's calling us to preparatory prayer. That the time of peace has one purpose. God is giving us the time to prepare ourselves. What did we see during the time of Joseph? Seven years of abundance. No need to save anything, right? Joseph said, no. If you don't use these seven years of abundance to prepare, the seven years of famine that come after it will eat up everything that came in these seven years. But you know what? If you build storehouses and you fill these storehouses full of grain, you'll make it through those seven years. You say, let any famine come. I'm ready. I've got storehouses. And this is how every believer is supposed to live. You've got to build some storehouses. Storehouses are words from the Lord. You need to be seeking God for a word when you don't even think you need a word. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. You need to be praying and seeking the face of God when you think everything's okay. That's when you need to seek him just a little bit more. Amen. Because when he gives you abundance, Lord, show me what I need to store up. Show me what I need to show me what I need to hide in my heart. Show me what I need to put in those storehouses full of grain. I'll finish with this. I'll never forget when I was about seven years old. I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten. I was young. I don't remember exactly how old. The Spirit of God came over me in a particular season, and I began to pray a particular prayer. First of all, this was a season in which the Spirit of God was poured out on me heavily, and I started spending hours a day just weeping before the Lord. I didn't even know why. The spirit, and I would run to the prayer chapel every day. And I, I mean, I'd spend my lunch hour there. After school, I'd go there. My mother would say, I'm going to choir rehearsal. I said, can I go with you? She said, why? Why do you want to go with me to choir rehearsal? I just want to go. She would go into choir rehearsal. I knew I had two hours. And I'd go into the prayer chapel. And I would just weep and wail before the Lord. And I would just cry before the Lord. I would have, but I began praying this prayer in the midst of this season. I began to pray this prayer. Lord, prepare me for the road ahead. And I mean, I was weeping and crying and praying, God, prepare me for the road ahead. God, prepare me for the road ahead. And I was in, almost in anguish. And I remember thinking, 
Why is a little kid praying this prayer? Does this make any sense? Why is it, if I saw my daughter praying that prayer, I'd be like, are you okay? You should be playing with Legos right now. Not worried about the road ahead. Where do you even get that language from? I didn't even understand it. I didn't even know what I was praying for. But the Spirit of God was moving me. I remember several times throughout my life where all of a sudden the Spirit of God would move me to intercede, and I didn't even know what I was interceding for. And I began to weep and cry out before the Lord and cry out for His mercy and grace. I remember one time my wife and I were driving somewhere, and that burden came on me, and I began weeping and pressing and pressing. And after about 30 minutes, my wife goes, what are we praying for? Because, you know, she's doing her Jesus, 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 Jesus. What are we praying for? I said, I don't know. I don't know. We got home. The burden still wouldn't lift. I go in the living room. Oh, God. Oh, God. I don't know what I was breaking through in those seasons. Something was going into the storehouse. Something was going into the storehouse. People used to stop me in the prayer chapel when I was a little boy and say, are you okay, young man? Are you, is something going on at home? And I remember, oh, yeah. huh, huh? And they'd be like, are you okay? I'd be like, yeah, why? You know, they're like, they're like well, is, is everything okay at home? Yeah. <laughs> you know, is your dad okay? Of course, yeah. And I think it's so weird. You never seen the Holy Spirit on somebody before? You know what I mean? Like, doesn't everybody pray like this? You know what I mean? Aren't you a Christian too? I mean, I didn't think that way. You know what I mean? What I'm saying is. <laughs> the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is not just about substitution. See, when we're talking about his substitutionary atonement, we're talking about the fact that he died for you. And when we say he died for you, it means he died on your behalf. He died a death that you could not die. Amen. Meaning he died instead of you, so you don't have to. Amen. And the substitutionary atonement. See, this is why most people watch movies like The Passion of the Christ and they cry. Because he did that for me, on my behalf. I couldn't have done it. He suffered for me. And so we weep and we cry Because we remember the immensity of the sacrifice, the price that he paid on our behalf. And that's right, that's true, and that's good. So I'm not downplaying that in any way, shape, or form. But I'm saying that there's another side to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Not just substitution, but participation. He not only died for us, he died with us. Meaning... Remember, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus says, you've got to take up your cross. Which means that there is a cross that you must bear. It means that all of us are going to go through tribulation. In this life, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Jesus was teaching his disciples what it looks like to go through suffering and to go through pain and to remain faithful to God in the midst of it. And this is the lesson that we need to learn in our culture more than any other lesson. Because what we are seeing in mass quantities is believers abandoning their faith in Christ in the midst of a trial. Why did you walk away? Because I went through this. 
Because I went through that and not only not only average everyday run of the mill believers, but we're seeing pastors across this nation that are leaving the ministry, having moral failures and abandoning their churches and even committing suicide. There's an epidemic of pastors that are committing suicide right here in the United States of America, the land of the free, the home of the brave pastors with big churches. Say, why? Why? Because they did not know something that should be fundamental to every believer in Jesus Christ. How to go through a trial. How to stand strong to the end. How to walk through tribulation without entering into temptation. So Jesus says, I'll show you. Watch me. Watch me. And I'm going to keep it real. You're going to see the agony and the tears. Watch. You're going to see me go through it. But you're going to see me go through it before the Father, never before man. See, some of you are crying before your boss when you should have been crying in your prayer closet. You're going to watch me. Pleading for my life from the Father, not before Pilate. Before Pilate, I'm going to stand and say, you don't have the power. If you do anything to me, it's only because my Father gave you the power. That's what you need to say to your boss. You're afraid your boss is going to fire you? Stand, you can't fire me if you wanted to. Well, no, don't say that, but think that. You don't have any power over me unless it's given to you. Where does that confidence come? Does it mean I never experience weakness? Of course not. But I have to learn how to experience my moments of weakness before the Father. And I had to learn, and I'm having to learn this as a husband. Because I used to go cry to my wife. How come you don't do this? How come you don't think? How come this? How come that? Pastor Daniels would tell me, you've got to learn to do that in your prayer closet. Because your wife don't want to hear it. I mean, I'm, being, I'm just keeping it real. We all have struggles. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to go through them. Watch me. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. The Apostle Paul echoes the same admonition. He says in Ephesians 6, 10 and following. says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. You know what the evil day is. That day that you didn't see coming. That day that tests the very fiber of your being. That day, that Job day. Where somehow the enemy is able to touch stuff that you think there's no way he should have been able to touch. Paul said you need to be able to stand in the evil day. Anybody can stand on the good day. 
But a believer that can stand on an evil day, that is an unshakable, unmovable, steadfast believer that is always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. And Paul says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of salvation, having put on I mean, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel and the shield of faith with which you can quench every fiery dart of the evil one. And then he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication, being watchful unto this end. He ends it by saying being watchful. See, there's lots of believers flashing weapons. I got all kinds of weapons. I quote a scripture. That's my sword. I believe that's my shield. I got my belt of truth. I can tell you every Bible doctrine, right? Got my, my, right? I, I can flash all kinds of weapons. I'm trained in spiritual warfare. I can cast out demons, know how to pray for the sick. But are you watchful? But I haven't prayed since last Sunday morning when the pastor said, bow your head. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your spirit would fall mightily on each and every heart. And I pray that you would open our ears and awaken our hearts to the call of the Spirit of God. You want to teach us how to watch and pray as a lifestyle, not just as an activity. It's not about 21 days of prayer. It's not even about 21 years of prayer. It's about a lifetime of prayer. It's not about something that we do for a a sustained period of time. It's about something that we acquire as a component of our lifestyle that is indispensable. I can't do without it. God, tonight I pray that you would open our eyes and that we would begin to see that The example of Jesus. The example that he set before us when he took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and said, watch. Watch and pray. Remain alert and pray. Remain awake and pray. Another one of the Gospels said that they were exhausted by sorrow and God, some in this room have been exhausted by sorrow. Eyes heavy with sleep. Lost consciousness. No longer conscious of your love. No longer conscious of your grace. Not clinging to the joy that's set before us. And so we can't endure the cross. But God, I pray tonight in the name of Jesus that you'd wake us up. I pray that you would shake us awake. 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 God, this is not something for the mature believers. This is something for every believer. It's not something for the old believers. It's something for every believer. You don't have to have had been saved for so many years to learn this. You can make this decision right now that I'm simply going to watch and pray. I'm simply going to watch and pray, meaning I'm going to take some time to be alert before the Lord every single day. And I'm going to learn how to stay alert before the Lord. Lord, I'm here. Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm watching. Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. God, prepare my heart. God, prepare my mind. Lord, make my spirit even more willing than it's been. And in the places where my spirit is not willing, make it willing. Overcome the weakness of my flesh. Make my spirit more willing. God, wake us up tonight. 
Wake us up tonight. Wake us up. God, some of us are punch drunk. Some of us have been slapped upside the head so hard by the enemy that we don't know how to wake up. But God, I pray that you would break the smelling salt of the Spirit in our nostrils. And I pray that you would wake us up tonight in the name of Jesus. Come on, church. I want you just to begin to pray right now. Just seated in your seats right where you are. Just begin to pray. It's time to wake up. It's time to make a decision. I'm going to watch. I want you to learn to pray with your mouth. Don't depend upon a prayer leader to stand up and pray. It's time to grow up. I'm not waiting for a prayer leader to pray hard. I'm going to pray hard. Nobody has to rouse me. The Spirit of God has roused me. Just begin to talk to Him right now.